Well, good morning, everyone. If you uh, brought a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. If you're a first-time guest with us, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor at Riverwood. And uh, if you did not bring a Bible, we will be putting most of the scripture on the screen for you this morning so that you can read along. But uh, we encourage you either download a Bible to your phone and feel free to use that uh, or stop by our resource table on your way out and you can take one of the paper Bibles that are there. And I- I'm really glad to see you guys because uh, I just kept hearing about all these people who were sick. And I was starting to think maybe I'm going to be preaching to an empty room. Uh, so hello to everyone online who's at home sick today. Uh, glad you've uh, still been able to join us and hopefully uh, that you all recover uh, very, very soon. Um, I, I picked today's uh, passage, Psalm 25, uh, many, many weeks ago. Uh, but it wasn't until this past week that I really began to open it up and, and dive in. And as I worked through it, uh, I was trying to answer the question, all right, so how do we surrender to God's ways? Uh, that's our theme for this week in our, in our 21 Days of Surrender. And as I began working through it, I began to see four things, four ways that we need to surrender to, to God. And I started getting excited, you know, I'm going to now have this nice four-point sermon. But as I began working through it, I realized this isn't to be a four-point sermon. This should be a four-part sermon. And so we're going to do something a little differently today. What, what we're going to do is we're going to go through part one, and then we're going to have a chance to respond to what we've just heard. And then we'll go into part two, and again, we'll do something a little differently and, and respond. And we'll kind of do that throughout our service today. And so we're just going to kind of take Psalm 25 and just weave it through our whole morning together. And uh, I, I really hope that something will impact you and help you want to surrender to God's ways. Part one today, if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, uh, if you're a first-time guest, I don't always have sermon notes, so uh, those who are filling the blank per- people are really excited today because they get to actually put their pin on their paper. Uh, but our uh, first uh, part is trust his divine ways. Trust his divine ways. And we see that here in verses 1 through 3. So if your Bible's open to Psalm 25, join me for w- verses 1 through 3. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. If you get nothing out of today's sermon, at least you get to walk away with that awesome phrase, wantonly treacherous. Uh, You sound really smart. Uh, Back in 1969, uh, the Beatles released a single Uh, Now, you would imagine that in 1969, in the pre-Spotify days, that releasing a single was a little different than now. Nowadays, you just can go on Spotify, and sure enough, a single means one song. But back in 1969, the way they put out music was on vinyl. And and, and so that meant you had an A-side and a B-side. Now, some people would just put, you know, some bands, they'd put the same song on both sides. Many would put the song on one side, the the main radio version, but then on the back side, they would put... uh, like a, an acoustic version or, or a, a different remix of it. But occasionally, some bands would say, you know what, we've had this other song we've recorded, and, and we haven't done anything with it. And, and they'll just decide, oh, let's just put it on the B-side, because it wasn't quite good enough for our previous album, but, you know, we'll just slap it on with this single. That's what the Beatles did with this single. The, the, the A-side was the song Get Back. Uh, some of you might be familiar with it. But I suspect many of you are more familiar with the backside, the B-side. It was the song, Don't Let Me Down. Now, if you know this song, 
I just got the chorus stuck in your head, and I apologize. I've had the song in my head now for the last three, four days since I've been working on the sermon. But in the song, it's written by John Lennon and uh, Paul McCartney. And uh, John Lennon takes lead vocals because it's primarily about his relationship with his wife, Yoko Ono. And if you were to listen to just the verses of this song, you would hear lyrics like this. Nobody, nobody ever loved me like she does. Or, don't you know it's going to last? And, it's a love that lasts forever. If all you had were the verses, you would think that, that Lennon and Yoko had probably one of the greatest marriages ever. Like, this thing was made to last, to weather any kind of storm. That's why the chorus kind of stands out. Because all he does for the chorus is four times repeats the title of the song. Don't let me down. It's like there's this part of him that knows my wife loves me, she's for me. And yet, there's this sliver of fear, this, this little bit of doubt. As I read verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 25, that's kind of the feeling I get about David. I feel like David is saying, God, I trust you. You, you see it right there in verse 1. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, that sounds nice and poetic and very psalm-like, but what exactly does it mean to lift up your soul? Well, in, in typical Hebrew poetry, he gives us parallelism. He, he writes the, a parallel verse. He defines it for us. Verse 2, O my God, in you I trust. So he's starting off with a verse like John Lennon, I trust you, I know you're for me, you are God, you are good. But then we get the little sliver of doubt. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. It's like there's this little hint, like, okay, okay, God, I know you're good, I know you're powerful, but don't let me down. Uh, the, the Net Bible, which I often use in my study, they translate verse 2 this way. My God, I trust in you. Please do not let me be humiliated. Do not let my enemies triumphantly rejoice over me. If you have followed Jesus for any amount of time, I, I suspect you kind of understand David. Because I, I suspect there's a part of you that, that trusts God. You know there is a God. You know this God is real. You know this God is good. And yet, there's this sliver of doubt. There's times you wonder, is he going to answer this prayer? Is he going to hear me? Or is he just going to ignore me? Is he going to fail me? Is he going to let me down? Or as David says it, will he let me be put to shame? So here's David with this mix. Yeah, yeah, God, I, I, I trust you. But, and then I want you to notice what he does in verse 3. In the very first phrase of verse 3, he says, indeed. Like a, a declarative. It's definitive. Indeed. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. Like suddenly, there's like this confidence. So wait, wait a second. He's saying, okay, God, I trust you, but don't let me down. But I know you won't. It's like he's admitting, okay, I know I have feelings. But my feelings are so fickle, they constantly shift, that they make a lousy foundation for my life. Instead, I want the rock-solid foundation of God and his ways. 
And so even though there's this part of me that fears that God might not meet my needs, that he might not meet me where I'm at, that he might let me down, I know the truth. We live in a world right now that tells us to follow our feelings. And I'm not saying you should ignore your feelings. God has made you with emotion, but your emotions make a lousy foundation because they are constantly shifting. Last week, you were doing great. This week, you're down. Next week, who knows? It's constantly shifting. But God, his ways, they never change. They're rock solid. It's a reliable foundation. That's why I titled this, Trust in His Divine Ways. Yeah, you may not completely understand his ways, but that's okay. How can you do it, though? Because this sounds kind of like just blind faith, doesn't it? Like, well, just believe. Ignore your feelings. How did David do it? Isaiah 55 says this about God. This is God talking to the people through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Even though these words were written 300 years after David wrote Psalm 25, David knows the truth of these words. He understands that God is God, and he is not. Now, David, as a human, has experienced fellow humans who've let him down. People who said, oh yeah, I'm with you, David. And and then they weren't. And so you can't blame him a little bit for, for transferring some of that experience upon his relationship with God. But it's like he realizes, yeah, but God, you're not like us. You are actually reliable. And so even though I fear, even though I doubt, even though I I wonder, I'll declare, I'll trust, I'll follow. If you are going to surrender to God's ways, you're going to have to trust his divine ways. It doesn't mean ignoring your feelings, but it means not building your life upon your feelings. To rather build your life upon him and his ways. That's why today we're breaking the sermon up into four parts. Because we want to help you begin this process of putting your faith fully in him. And so to prepare for our time together of worship, let us pray. So Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for the words from Psalm 25 that uh, are going to lead and guide us today. I pray that you would embed these truths deep into our hearts and deep into our minds. Father, some of us, we've been wrestling with doubt. Help us to bring those doubts directly to you, to realize that you can handle our questions, you can handle our worries, you can handle our fears. God, help us to not build our lives upon those things, rather to to build it upon what is true, what is steady, what is right. You, God, have existed way longer than any of us have, and you will be there way after we breathe our last. And so help us, Father, to not try to conform you into how we think you should be and what you should do, Instead, help us to become who you call us to be and to do what you call us to do. Help us, Father, to trust your divine ways to fully surrender to you. So, Father, I pray that you'd work through the music. I pray you'd work through these, this, this scripture. I pray you'd work through the times of prayer that this whole morning would be you drawing your people 
to you. For the person that may not know you, that today is when you make yourself seen, that you become visible, and that they will give their life to you. For the person that has known about you, but has never fully committed to you, that today might be the day where they say a full-on yes. For those who, who know you and have been following you, but have been struggling, that today would be a day of reassurance. For those who've been apathetic, today would be a day of challenge. For those who have been struggling, today would be a day of encouragement. So God, do what you need to through this entire service. But God, I don't want this just to be about this one hour together, but that this would be about today, tomorrow, this week, this year, this life, that we would truly trust you in your divine ways each and every moment of each and every day, because I believe that is where we will be the safest, that was where we will feel the most secure, and that is where we will have the most joy. So God, teach us now as we sing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand and sing with us? encourage you uh, during this song I know Aaron said to stand um, but God throughout the Psalms asks us to um, enter into postures so I'm going to ask if you feel led as we sing this there's a posture of bowing now, you're not bowing to me or to the stage, uh, but as our posture in our hearts, as we sing, we fall down, we lay our crowns at your feet, Jesus. If you feel led, uh, there's spaces around the room to bow. Now, that can be in your seat. That can be on the floor. But as we pursue the Lord in His ways, we can't come with our own agendas. We can't come with our own mission. 
Scripture says we cannot serve two masters. So no one's going to get judged this morning if we don't bow or, or kneel. But I just want to invite you If there are areas of your life, if there are ways in the ways you walk where we can confess, Lord, I, I have not surrendered to your ways. I have very much followed my own heart and leaned on my own understanding. Then I invite you to surrender that. creation at the end of time. We sing. We cry holy, holy, holy. We cry holy, holy, holy. And we cry holy, holy, holy is the
You may go ahead and take a seat. Uh, part two today uh, in Psalm 25, if you want to reopen your Bibles, uh, we're going to skip verses four and five and go to six and seven um, because part two is confess your sinful ways. Confess your sinful ways. David starts in verse six. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions, According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. If we're going to surrender to God's ways, it means we're going to have to confess when our ways aren't in alignment with his. And that's what we see David starting to do here in verses 6 and 7. He, he's acknowledging his sin. But when, when I first read it, I felt like when he said, you know, in verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth. It felt like he was like downplaying them, like, you know, like, oh, well, the sins that I committed way back then. But then I notice he, he tacks on, or my transgressions. He, he's talking about his sins now. It's not like, oh, well, I was foolish when I was young, but, you know, now that I'm old and wise. No, in, in fact, over in verse 11, he says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Like he's admitting, my sin is awful, it's horrific, it's huge. If you're familiar with the story of David, you, you know that he committed some really atrocious sins. And, and so he's not sitting here going, oh, well, you know, my sins aren't that bad. You know, but God, you know, please forgive me. No, he's saying, my sins are awful, my sins are huge. But as big as his sin is, he knows that the grace of God is greater he knows that he has not been able to outsin the goodness and steadfast love of the Father. First John uh, 1, verses 1, uh, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that God can forgive your sin? I've known some people who felt that their sin was so huge, so atrocious, so awful, there's no way a holy, just God would ever forgive them of their sin. And yet, as I said, David's sin was huge. I mean, it was bad. Adultery, murder, lying. It's as bad as it gets. And yet he falls upon the grace of God, knowing that God is able and just to forgive him of his sin and to cleanse him from all unrighteousness. So do you believe that God can forgive you of your sin? Because he can. But for some of you, you know that God can. Your struggle is, but would God want to forgive my sin? Because you're embarrassed by it. You're ashamed of it. You, you've, you've allowed it to become part of your identity. And there, there's no way God would want to forgive that. I mean, yeah, he can. But I, I don't think he'd want to. And yet, he does. It's the whole reason Jesus came. He wants to forgive you of your sin. 
He doesn't want you shackled to your sinful ways. He wants you free of it. He wants you to experience life and life abundantly. He wants you to have that joy. Do you believe God wants you to be free? He wants you to be forgiven. If so, then you have to confess. Acknowledge it. Put it right out there, just like David. Just lay it before God. I admit my sin. I admit I fall short. I, I put this before you. And, and so as I said today, we're going to try to give you opportunities to respond. And, and so it seemed appropriate for us to take some time to confess. Now we've done this just a handful of times here w within the life of Riverwood these past 10 years. But oftentimes we've done it as kind of a, a corporate prayer of confession. And we did that just not that long ago. And, and so today I wanted to do something just a little differently. I, I want to create space for you to just confess. But I, I want to give you various areas of, of life. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to go into a time of prayer. And, and I'll invite Jake up to, to play. I'll ask uh, Nate to, to drop the lights. And it's just going to be you and God. And all I'm going to do is I'm just going to uh, ask a question. I'm going to kind of announce an, an area. And if you need to, you just kind of confess generally uh, in that area. But if the Holy Spirit brings to mind something very specific, then confess that. Lay that at the foot of the cross, knowing that it was taken for you. So let us go to prayer. So Heavenly Father, as we uh, bow before your throne of grace, we come here with confidence, not in who we are, but in who you are and what Jesus did for us through the cross. And so God, as we come to you, we recognize that we have sinned, that, that we do not live out your ways, that, that too often we run to our own sinful, selfish ways. And so God, right now, we just want to bear those things before you. We want to confess them and acknowledge them. We know you already know about them, and yet, God, we're here to admit that we also know about them. Forgive us, Father, for the times we've tried to minimize these things, we've tried to act like they aren't a, a, a big deal, but they are because it costs your son his life. And so, God, we, we bow down here to confess these areas to you. First area I want you to confess is your relationships. Have, have you sinned against someone recently? The next area for you is your wallet. Have you used your finances for things that do not glorify God? How about your body? Have you used your body in such a way in which God was not honored? Whether it was in violence, sexually, maybe it was not caring for this body that God has given you. Confess that now.
Next area is your mouth. Have you used words that have hurt, that have harmed, or have you withheld words that would have helped and healed? Confess that now. The last area we're going to confess today is your mind. Have you been harboring thoughts of lack of trust in God, lack of faith? Have you been harboring thoughts of anger, bitterness? Confess those things now. Now I want you to realize that everything you confessed has been forgiven through the cross. You've just done the first portion of 1 John 1.9. You've confessed your sin. And I want you to realize God is able and just to forgive you of that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Anytime you begin to go back and hold on to those past sins, allowing that to become part of your identity, Bring it back to God. Lay it again at his feet because it is forgiven. As it says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you understand the cross and the empty tomb was for you, you are forgiven. And may you walk in that freedom. May you find joy in that knowledge. May that just wash through you. And when you find yourself going back to sinful ways, <laughs> confess them yet again because he is able and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It seems the most appropriate thing right now to do to, to say thank you is to take communion. Jesus went to a cross to die in our place. Even though he himself had no sin, he went and died a sinner's death. He died a criminal's death because we were the criminals. We'd committed the sin against a holy, just, pure God. And he took it. And so to say thank you, to remember what he did, we, we come to the table. If you are a follower of Jesus, but this is your first time with us, this table is open to you because that bread represents the body of Christ. That cup represents the blood of Jesus, that he gave his life for you and he tells us to do this in remembrance of him. And so as we've now confessed and realized our sin is forgiven, may, may we go and, and kneel before him and say, thank you for what you did. If you're a first-time guest with us and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, then we're just going to ask that you not go to this table. Not because we're trying to keep something from you. It's that we believe God has something better for you. It'd be better for you to stay where you're at and just pray. God, is this crazy story true? Are you real? Are you a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the Son took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, but went and died in the sinner's place? And if the Holy Spirit is revealing to you that that is true, then you take this time to give your life to Him, to begin this act of daily surrender. But if you've done that, whether a, a day ago, a, a year ago, 40 years ago, then come. Come to the table 
and let us thank Jesus for the forgiveness that we have through him. So at any time during this next song, feel free to get up, make your way to the tables, take those cups, bring them back. As Jake said, if you want to to kneel, you may. If you need to stand and sing, you can. This is your time to thank God for the forgiveness of sin. So let us do this now in remembrance of him.
Jesus, breathe within. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way in me. Like a Bibles, go ahead and open them up again to Psalm 25. Part three today is to learn his reliable ways. Learn his reliable ways. <clears throat> We're going to go back and catch the two verses that we skipped, verses four and five. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. I want you to imagine with me that you're out hiking. And uh, as you're hiking, 
your phone dies. So you now have no cell service, you have no GPS, and, and you took no paper map with you. And pretty soon you realize you are completely lost. You, you, you take a moment, you, you kind of look around, you try and get your bearings, okay, which way is north, south, east, west, trying to, you know, think, okay, where was I parked, you know, how do I get out of here? And, and suddenly you realize you have no clue. And as the panic starts to rise, and, and the prayers as well, suddenly you hear something. You, you, you look down the path, and here comes another hiker. Relief, Right? As your hiking savior approaches, you say, hey, hey, good afternoon. Uh, this is a little embarrassing, but uh, I I'm a little bit lost. Uh, which way is the, the trailhead? How do you want your hiking savior to respond? W would you like them to say, oh, you know, um, I think it's kind of that way. You know, just, just go that general direction. Yeah, I I'm sure you'll be fine. You'll find it. Have a good hike. Or would you rather they say, oh, yeah, I, I know exactly where you need to go. You, you missed a turn right back there. There's a bunch of fallen oaks and it's fallen right on the trail. That's why you missed it. All you need to do is go about a half mile, three quarters of a mile. Just take a turn there by the, the oaks. You should be able to find the trail. And about two, three miles, and you're, you're back to the trailhead. Of course, you want the second set of instructions. Because you feel far more confident in them. These seem reliable. There are many people in our culture who mean very, very well, but they give instructions kind of like the first hiking savior. They kind of just say, well, you know, just do what feels right. You, you do you. Just kind of go that general direction because that's what I'm doing and it's working for me and seems to be working for everyone else. So just kind of go that way. You'll be fine. David, though, seems to be saying in verses four and five, no, 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 no. God, don't just kind of say, go that general direction. In fact, he doesn't even just say, God, would you tell me where I can find the path? He doesn't even say, will you show me where to find the path? He says, make me to know your path. Do you remember that hint of doubt back in verses one through three? Because of that hint of doubt, he's like, God, I don't trust myself. I need you to make me know your ways. Make me walk your paths. I need your help, God. Teach me. Help me to learn your reliable ways. So, what do you do? Well, I think you just take a tip from David. Ask. Just start asking God. God, help me. Help me to, to walk these paths. Help me to know your ways. Just, just pray. But also, I want you to realize, God has already given you instructions on where his paths lie. It's called the Bible. I realize for many people, it's scary. There's this big, thick book. It's got a bunch of different stories, genealogies. And yet, the more you begin to read it, the more you begin to study it, the more you become familiar with it, the more truths begin to embed and you begin to think along these lines and you find yourself beginning to understand his ways better and he begins to slowly replace your desires with his desires. So read it, study it, listen to it. Just even a portion each day. Just begin to slowly absorb it. But if you're like me, you find yourself with lazy seasons 
And, and, and you just don't get yourself into this. Sometimes you gotta have a partner help you. It's way easier to hike with someone else than to go by yourself. So get into a growth group or, or find at least one person who, who you can study the scriptures with, who, who you can pray together, who you can encourage each other to do as it says in Hebrews, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't try to hike alone. Bring someone else into it. This is why we do these 21 days of prayer to start every year. As Ed said last week, we'd originally planned this just as a, a one-off, but then kind of ended up realizing like, you know, maybe we should do this again. And we've done it a little differently every year, but we've basically, you know, said, all right, we're gonna give the first 21 days to, to God. And, and so by doing that, what it does is it creates space for you to ask, for you to plead, for you to pray. God, help me to be the person you call me to be. I want to walk in your ways. Also, we do it because it's gonna put out there, if you've noticed, if you've got the devotionals, whether by email or the paper ones, the first thing it has is a scripture. We're trying to help you get into the, the word. And, and so you read the scripture first before you get to the, the words of, of whoever wrote the devotional for the day. Let God's word begin to teach you. But then we also devote 21 days to do together because it's a good reminder that we're not hiking alone, that we have an entire church family that is doing this. And so if you, for whatever reason, didn't participate this last week, maybe because, you know, you've been gone, busy, maybe it was, you know, like you just kind of slipped right back in old patterns, start today. On your way out, grab a devotional booklet and just join us today, January 7th. Or, or sign up for the email, just put your email address and, and every day we'll email you the devotionals. And then just commit to getting into the scripture and pleading for God to help you. Ask him to make you walk his paths. Now, as I was trying to think, what could we do together to apply this? I was like, well, we're gonna ask. So it made sense for us to pray. And it, it made sense that since I'm talking about, you know, doing this with others, that we just do this collectively. So I thought, okay, we'll do a corporate prayer. But then it hit me, like, well, rather than us just, you know, come up with some sort of prayer, why not incorporate scripture? And so we're going to pray a prayer that's a combination of three different scriptures. We're going to first pray through Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. That's going to lead us into these two verses we've seen in Psalm 25. And then we're going to finish with two verses out of Psalm 139. So if you would, please read with me this prayer. You, O Jesus, are the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By you, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through you and for you. You are before all things, and in you all things hold together. Because you are the sovereign Lord, Make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in your way, the way everlasting. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So with that, we come to part four. Part four today is to humbly declare his 
faithful ways, to humbly declare his faithful ways. And to see this and finish this out, we're going to do verses 8, 9, and 10. So if your Bible's open there at Psalm 25, look down there at verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. When I was uh, younger, uh, I used to not like repeating things. I rarely ever read a book a second time. Rarely ever watched a movie again. I liked new. And so I was always chasing after the new, which was exciting and enticing. Because to repeat something was old. And old is boring. It is stale. And so I always was chasing after the bright, shiny new. Well, this affected my approach to Scripture. Growing up in a Christian home and being encouraged to read the Bible, I had read most of the Bible. And so when I get into my 20s and I start reading books that are designed to help you grow in your faith, uh, an author would begin to quote Scripture, and I would find myself either skimming through it to kind of get the gist of which passage they're referring to, or I would skip it entirely because I've read the Bible, I know that, but I haven't read this author's words and so I would chase after this author's words, which were going to kind of fade away and skim over the eternal words of God. Well, I really saw this and ended up being humbled when in my mid to late 20s, I was in an accountability group with two other guys. And uh, we had heard of this idea of, of committing to heavy amounts of scripture. And so we decided together we were going to read 25 to 30 chapters of the Bible every week. All right, so we had to read four or five, six chapters a day. And if one of us failed to complete the reading for the week, all three of us would have to repeat it. So kind of an incentive, you know, accountability group. We're in this together. Well, one day we get the harebrained idea that we're going to read Philippians. Well, for those of you who know, Philippians is only four chapters. So that meant reading Philippians every day. So by day four, I am bored out of my mind. Like you're getting a horrible glimpse of your pastor right now. Like, here, you know, he's supposed to love the scriptures. And I'm just like, oh, man, I can't wait till we meet together and we can pick something else to read. Problem is, we got together. And one of the guys goes, oh, guys, I, I only read it like two, three times this week. So we have to read it again. Next week, the other guy says, uh, guys, I'm sorry, I, I didn't do the assignment this week. Oh, so on the outside, I'm saying all the right things. You know, this will be good. This will be great. Inside, I'm going, this is awful. Like, I'm so tired of Philippians. Like, I feel like I have this thing memorized by now. And I don't remember what day it was. 15, 16, 17, doesn't matter. All of a sudden, I'm reading and, wait, where's that been? I've read this thing 15 times in a row. I, I don't remember that. Dude, did I end up with a different translation, a different Bible? Next day, same thing. I see something different. Next day, I see something yet new. And I began to be so humbled to think that I was so arrogant that because I'd read it once that I knew it. It was through this repetition that I began to see the power and the beauty and began to see new things that I had been missing all along. 
When David gets to verses 8, 9, and 10, he simply begins to repeat already what he's been saying. And young Aaron would have just kind of skimmed over that to get to something new. But to do that is to miss out on what he's saying. We sometimes need to hear something over and over and over. I realize some of you, you may be super intelligent. You hear something once, you remember it forever. But us mere mortals, we, we're fickle. We forget. We, we don't know. And, and so we need to hear it repeatedly to get it to pound into our hearts and our souls. We need to hear it over and over and over and over so we can begin to understand that good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Now, some of you may have heard it the first time we went through, but I'm hoping more of you got it the second time we read it that you see that by repeating it, you see something that you maybe missed the first time. Anytime you read scriptures, one of the first things you need to do is kind of observe. What, what do we see? What do we notice? And particularly look for patterns and repetitions. David throws in a repetition here. In verse nine, he uses the word humble twice. Now you might be using a Bible translation that only has the word in there once. That's probably a, a more thought-for-thought thought approach. And that can be good because the thought-for-thought thought approach tends to be a little more readable. I'm using the English Standard Version today, which tends for a more word-for-word word type translation, which occasionally means you end up with some clunkier type of sentences. And, and so for us in English, it's a little awkward there to, to say this word humble twice, but it's there in the Hebrew. Twice, David says humble. So if he's using the word twice, he wants us to get it. Because you see, if you are going to surrender to God's ways... Humility is an absolute must. You have to be humble if you're going to be teachable, if you're going to be taught this way from God, if you're going to be instructed in it. I was not humble in my teens and my 20s when it came to my approach to Scripture. I thought if I read it once, I had it. I had to be humbled so that I could begin to see more. Your humility is going to allow you to come at something over and over and over because you're going to realize God has something here for me. Even if I've heard it before, I either need to hear it again or I need to hear it in a new way. But also, I want you to notice that his humility here is not the type of humility of, well, you know, I, I think God is good and upright, but you might think a little differently, and, and that's okay. We'll just agree to disagree. No, he says it definitively. He declares it Good and upright is the Lord. So yeah, there's this humility about him, but it's a humility before God, realizing he is God, I am not, but I can declare what I know is right. But as I read this, I don't get the sense that he just wants to be humble and declare what's right. I get this sense in these last few verses that he's saying, God, I don't just want to humbly declare about your faithful ways. I want to humbly live your faithful ways. That's what I long for you. I want you to live God's faithful ways. Because I truly believe that is where your greatest joy is going to be found and how you will make the biggest impact on the people around. But for that to happen, you're going to have to surrender to his ways. So this week, as we do the devotionals together, let's just plead for God to teach us his ways. 
Because as he teaches us, it's going to build our trust. We're going to find ourselves being able to trust in his divine ways. This week, if, if you come across something and you realize that was not God's way, that was my way, just take the moment and confess it. Because remember, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your unrighteousness. And, and then, simply go to him and continue to humbly seek him, to declare his goodness, and to live for him. So Heavenly Father, I just pray for this coming week in this uh, 21 days of prayer and surrender, that as we get into the scriptures, as we read the devotionals, as we spend time in prayer, as we meet in our growth groups, or even just encouraging one, uh, one another through texts or, or getting together, that you would use all of this for your glory and our joy, that you would continue to grow us into that image of Jesus. Just as David wanted to be made to walk in your paths, God, we want to follow you. We want to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. So humble us, God. Help us to not be arrogant, not to, to just try to go our own way, but instead to truly seek to go your way. And Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.